Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning again. You can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, uh, even though I'm just preaching on the last few verses this morning. I just want to give us context to the whole chapter uh, that we have heard over these last few weeks. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do." But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us through it by your Spirit. We ask that your Spirit this morning would enlighten our hearts. Father, for we can know nothing apart from what you reveal to us. And so we need your help this morning, God, as we look into your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, because of my son, my oldest son, I have uh, developed a love for uh, a a new sport that he and I share, which is indoor rock climbing. I didn't know if you guys knew that was a thing, but you can actually go into a building and climb a rock wall. Uh, And so we don't prefer using the, the, the side with ropes. We actually do the side without ropes, which is called bouldering. Uh, and you don't go quite as high as you would with the ropes. Uh, but it's really, it's great fun, it's good exercise. Uh, you have to use your mind and your body and kind of figure out uh, what's going on. But what I've realized is 
uh, that we've been, doing this, we've been doing this about a year and a half now. And what I realize is that sometimes you get to a route, they're called routes, which is a particular color of holds that goes up the wall, and you're supposed to follow just that color, uh, and they get kind of progressively <coughs> harder, uh, depending on which color you're climbing. Sometimes you can stand there and you can kind of gaze at the wall at this particular route, and you have no idea how to climb it. You can look at it and you're like, okay, there's this little hold here, and there's this little hold here, and how in the world am I supposed to get up to the top? Because that's the goal, to get to the very top of the wall with that particular color. Uh, and sometimes you just have to watch somebody else. And so it's actually a great learning tool when somebody else who's better than you, <laughs> Shane's better than me, by the way, uh, and sometimes I have to call him over and say, how do I climb this? Uh, but you can watch other people, and you watch them, and you watch them climb, and then suddenly you have this like aha moment of like, oh, well, like, that doesn't look that hard once you watch somebody else do it. Um, and then, of course, there's those ones that make look, everything look easy, and they're like, I could never do that because my body just doesn't bend that way. Um, but it is helpful to watch someone in climbing the wall. I think that's what Paul is doing here for Timothy. Uh, in, these in these verses, at the end of this chapter, from verse 15 to verse 18, uh, he's saying to Timothy, look at this guy and look how he climbs. Climb like him. He's also, though, he's looking at some negative examples, and he's saying, don't climb like these guys, because if you climb like these guys, you'll fall. And so what is going on in this text, remember, this is the first century, <laughs> all right? So there are really not that many believers. Uh, there's not a lot of Christian history. Uh, there's oppression all around in the Roman Empire. I mean, we're only about 30 years at this point when Paul is writing this, just about 30 years from the resurrection of Jesus. So you can imagine just how fresh and new everything is. And, and the communication, even though it's the Roman Empire, the communication is very limited. And yet, in the middle of all that, Christ is building His church. Uh, there's probably tens of thousands of believers at this point. Uh, we know several thousand came to Christ uh, just in the, the beginning of the book of Acts uh, with Peter preaching. And so you can imagine there's probably tens of thousands around the Roman Empire right now and just like all of us, they are at different places of maturity. Some of them have been probably walking with Jesus for decades at this point, those that came to Christ early on. Um, and then, of course, some are coming to faith uh, just recently, I'm sure, at this stage. Uh, and even in that, you just have this up and down, right, of the Christian walk. And so there was much suffering and there was much shame even in the believing world, like we talked about last week. Uh, but they're really not all that different from us. Uh, they're broken. They're messy. They're confused sometimes. They have doubt. Um, they're kind of stumbling through their journey of faith. If that's you this morning, welcome to the club. We are stumbling through together, by God's grace, this journey of faith. But what I want for you this morning is I want you to have clarity on what faithfulness actually looks like. And I think what you have here, 
these examples that Paul is giving is a negative examples, and you've got a positive example of faithfulness. Because you want to ask yourselves this morning, ask yourself, who are you following? Who are you following? Who is helping you in your walk with Jesus? And who might be hurting you in your walk with Jesus? I just have, I just have two points uh, this morning, uh, hopefully to encourage you. Two points, kind of. <laughs> You'll see as I go. Um, so the first point, the first point, don't be unfaithful. Don't be unfaithful. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So Paul has just finished writing to Timothy and encouraging him right, to own and bear and preach and guard the gospel. That's what we talked about last week. He's in prison. He's tired. He's hungry. He's weary. He's, he's cold. <laughs> he's going to ask Timothy to bring his cloak to him uh, later in the book. He's pressing in this point to Timothy, but he's really using this open, personal, emotional example. And you don't always quite see the emotion, but if you like look at Paul's writing, this is a pretty personal, emotional way that he's reminding Timothy of something. He's reminding Timothy of something that he already knows, right? Because it says in verse 15, you are aware of this. You are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Now listen, this isn't the continent of Asia. He's talking about the Roman province of Asia, which is basically like modern-day western Turkey. So it's kind of like the western half of Turkey today. That's the province of Asia that Paul is talking about. But he's like, well, why is he talking about Asia? He's in Rome. He's in, he's in Italy, modern-day Italy, right? So like, why is he talking about Asia? Well, remember that Timothy is there. Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus. And so P Timothy would know he already says, you're aware of this. And he's giving Timothy an example here, a negative example. And he uses the term all, like everyone, all have turned away from me. And so, but in that, you have to recognize that's, that's a little bit of, of an emotional exaggeration. Um, he's expressing here, this is where you see the, the, the weight of the loss for Paul. Uh, the emotion that he has because he labored. He had a deep labor of love for years in Asia. He spent three years in Ephesus, and he was around some of the other towns as well. And so you can imagine that this is hard for him. He feels like no one in Asia is for him anymore. Uh, and we know that it's an exaggeration because obviously Timothy's in Asia, and Timothy is still for him. Uh, Onesiphorus is in Asia, and we know that he's still... So, you know, you, you, you get like, this is just an exaggeration. We do that all the time. It's just, a, it's hyperbole. He's, he's just, he's going to the extreme. Everybody's against me. You can, you can almost hear it in his voice. He's saying, though, what I want you to see, like, he's not saying, it's not clear that he's saying that they're, they're heretics. It's not clear that, like, they're, they're walking away from the gospel, that's not necessarily what he's saying here. We don't know. There's probably individuals that may have done that. But what he is expressing here is that they've walked away from him. It's deeply personal to Paul right here. In his hour of need, he's in prison for the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, and these people have walked away from him. They are not supporting him. They are leaving him in 
the dark. You can see why Timothy is such a deep encouragement. You have this man, uh, this son in the faith, who's still walking faithful. Uh, And you can see just the emotion, even as Shane pointed out, the beloved child in that first uh, part of this series. He's a deep encouragement. But then he mentions, so he talks about all these people in Asia, but then he mentions these two men, Phygelus and Hermogenes. This is all we know of these men. This is the only place in the scriptures where these men are mentioned. So unfortunately, for these two men, this is their legacy that we know of. This is how they have been remembered by the church through the ages as leaving Paul. Now, we don't know the next part of their story. We don't know if they uh, became more faithful and more willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We know that's possible because when we look at the Lord Jesus himself, as he was going to the cross, like the night before, all of the disciples fled. All of them fled and deserted him. So Paul is experiencing what the Lord Jesus has already experienced, desertion. He was deserted. But what we know of the disciples, except for Judas, is they all came back. They all came back, and they were faithful to the end, as far as history tells us. So this one verse, though, really calls us to actually quite a few challenging things. Because sometimes you look at the Scripture, and you look at a verse like this, you're like, ah, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to get from this. Um, and you can imagine as you're preparing a sermon, you're like, ah, I'm not really sure what to tell people about this verse. Uh, but I think, the, I think there is quite a fit, bit here. One, name unfaithfulness. Name unfaithfulness when you see it. Now, we are not apostles, and there are no apostles. Shane mentioned that to us in that first sermon in this series as well. And so we need to be careful, and we need to be humble, and we need to look at the plank in our eye before we take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye. But he names unfaithfulness here, literally names it. And I think we can uh, grow and being maybe a little bit more bold with each other when we see unfaithfulness in one another. Ask questions in love, humbly. So name unfaithfulness. Also, (laughs) my point, don't be unfaithful. (laughs) Just don't be unfaithful. And listen, if you are without Christ this morning, you cannot be faithful. You are sitting in the most unfaithful place imaginable. And I really, I want you to feel that guilt this morning. Without Christ, you are guilty, and you will never, ever be faithful without Christ. And so please, come to Him. Come to Him for forgiveness and life, and He can actually give you the strength by His Spirit to walk faithful, to walk faithful. But, but Christians, heed the legacy of these men. Learn from their mistakes. Don't climb like them because they, they fell in some form or fashion. Again, they left Paul here. That's all we know. But in so, 
They weren't willing to suffer for his namesake, for the sake of Jesus. So heed the warning here. And what I also want you to see from this is to notice, notice how unfaithfulness affects others. Because sometimes we think that we live in isolation. But you look here, Paul is devastated by how these people deserted him. It hurts him that they've left him. And there are different levels of our unfaithfulness. We all have unfaithfulness. But what I want you to see from this one little verse is that our unfaithfulness affects other people because we are not islands to ourselves. For instance, when you are not present for the meetings of the church on a Sunday or a midweek, your absence matters. And it doesn't just matter to you. And I think sometimes we think that. We're like, well, I just, I can't go. I'm not going to go. I don't feel like going on a Sunday or a midweek on a Wednesday or a Friday or whatnot. And we think, well, that just, uh, yeah, I'll own that. I'll take that. I'll take the hit. It hits the rest of us as well. Because we're a body. And if my right arm is missing, (laughs) I'm going to be in a bad place when I'm trying to function as a body. And so our lack of faithfulness in different areas affects other people. My lack of faithfulness to my family affects them. When I'm not walking faithful and leading well, it it isn't just an issue with me. It's an issue with my family. And that is the case for the body as well. And so our unfaithfulness is not a a one-sided, neutral thing. It hurts. And in connection to that, just when you, when you look at Phygelus and Hermogenes, they were faithful to Paul until they weren't. And so what I want you to see here is that membership matters. And you might be like, I don't see membership here at all. Well, but what you see is you see fickle people. You see Phygelus and Hermogenes, and they're fickle. They're with Paul one moment, and then they're not. And what I want to encourage you this morning is that church membership helps guard against our fickleness. And fickleness is actually a word. I had to look it up, but it is a word. Fickleness, our our tendency to be here and then be gone. What formal, proper membership in the body of Christ guards against is that. It gives us accountability. It gives us others to walk with. It gives us others to speak into our lives. It is beautiful and hard at the same time. And so I'd encourage you, if you are not a member of this church, talk to Brendan and Shane and ask them about membership and what that looks like and why that's important. So first point is don't be unfaithful. Second point, be faithful. You see, I'm not sure they're really two actually different points, but the second point is be, be faithful. Look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul flips the coin here. 
He, he shows us the other option. The first side of the coin was those who were ashamed in some form or fashion, and now we see the other side of the coin of those who had no shame, or the one who had no shame, the example that he is lifting up for Timothy. Remember, Paul is calling Timothy to not be ashamed. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed. He's calling Timothy not to be ashamed. Look at verse 12. He is not ashamed, but I am not ashamed. <laughs> okay? Uh, Onesiphorus, in verse 16, he says that he is not ashamed of his chains. You see, there's a theme here. <laughs> there's a theme of, of shame and not being ashamed. And we know that Timothy also knows about Onesiphorus. At the end of verse 18, you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus, because that's where Timothy is. So this, this guy, these people that Paul is writing about, Timothy is aware of them. He knows them. And what I want you to see here is the joy that Onesiphorus was to Paul. He refreshed Paul. He was not ashamed of his change. He went to Rome and searched earnestly for him. Went around diligently from prison to prison to prison. That would have been hard. That would have been really hard. You didn't have a GPS. <laughs> Couldn't pull out your phone and look at the, where's the Mamertine prison? If you've been to Rome, you know, where's this prison? Like, you couldn't do that. You had to ask. You had to talk. And people were like, why are you looking for a prison? Who are you looking for? Like, there would have been questions asked. And he's a Christian. He's looking for Paul, of all people. That would not have been easy. And he was apparently a great service to the church at Ephesus, which brought Paul great joy. Great joy in that. Onesiphorus is a positive example, a positive example of owning the gospel and bearing the gospel, and preaching the gospel, and guarding the gospel. Paul is lifting him up. Climb like him. <laughs> Climb like Onesiphorus. He has found the route to the top. And then Paul, he gives this wish prayer for Onesiphorus' family. I, and I use that phrase, wish prayer. I didn't create that. I saw that in a commentary, but it really helps to explain what's going on here. He, so he's giving, and I'll, and I'll explain in a second, but he gives this wish prayer. Likely, it, it, there in verse, uh, verse 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And so it's likely because he's absent. He's with Paul, he's, he's, or he was with Paul, and he was refreshing Paul, but he's absent from his family. And so he's honoring his family in this. But you see that this is not really a prayer. He's not, he's, he's not really a directly addressing the Lord here. Uh, he, he says, may the Lord grant mercy. He's not saying, Lord, grant mercy. Uh, so it's, it's a wish prayer. He, he's saying to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, this is what I want to happen. This is the desire of my heart. We do this. We do this all the time. You hear of a tragedy or something bad happens, and you say, oh, I hope they feel the Lord's mercy. I hope they feel the Lord's kindness. Well, you might go on and pray for that at some point, but in saying that, that's not a prayer. It's a, it's a wish prayer. <laughs> it's like you're expressing the desire of your heart for that person in that situation, and that's what Paul is doing. He's, he's expressing a desire for the family of Onesiphorus, 
mercy, blessing, favor. And then he does it again for Onesiphorus. There in verse 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And when, when you read these verses, there's a particular thing that I want you to be aware of because some, and actually many, in this country will use this passage to defend praying for the dead. And you might be like, what? <laughs> Is that really here? Praying for the dead? Well, yes, you can kind of see it, but let's talk through it a bit. Um, there's a little bit of a reason to think that Onesiphorus could be dead. Um, so it looks like in verse 18 when he says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And so if Onesiphorus were dead, it looks like Paul is praying for a dead man. Um, and people think that Onesiphorus may have died because the verbs here are past tense. Um, and you have this kind of end of time blessing in verse 18 to find mercy from the Lord on that day, as if Onesiphorus has already gone on um, towards that day, which we'll talk about in a second. But I just want to see, first of all, there's no reason here, definitive evidence, that shows that this man is dead. Um, of course Paul's writing in past tense because these things already happened. How do you write about things that haven't happened yet very well, unless you're writing prophecy? But he's just writing about life. So, uh, so in the past tense, so there's no, that's not a reason to think that this man is dead. And as far as the end of time blessing, he just wrote about that in verse 12 concerning himself. If you look back at verse 12, he says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Um, and so there's a, a, a couple things there that show, like there's no definitive evidence that this man has actually died. And even if he were dead, I don't think Paul's praying. <laughs> I don't think he's praying like I already said. And so this one obscure passage cannot and should not be used to establish a doctrine that we see no place else in the New Testament. We don't pray for the dead. It is in this life and in this life only that we choose to follow Jesus or we don't. And into eternity is God's realm. Dead or alive, the point of this passage is not even that at all anyways. It's the example of this man. He's lifting up Onesiphorus as an example. Um, and uh, the other thing that I want you to see in this passage that I think we need to address is that whole phrase, that day. Because <laughs> you're like, okay, is that like Friday? <laughs> what, what day is he talking about on that day? Um, so if you look at verse 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy on that day. I read verse 12 to you. He, he mentions uh, that I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He's going to mention it again in chapter 4, verse 8. He's going to talk about that day. And so, okay, well, what is he talking about? Well, <laughs> he's talking about that day. Yeah. Uh, what is he talking about? What is this day? Well, it is, in the Scripture, that day is the awesome and terrible day in which the Lord bring, brings final judgment on the wicked and full rescue to the faithful. 
I think maybe that's why Paul writes about it three times. He's so close to death. He's ready. He wants that day. He's fought a good fight. He's ready for it. So it's the awesome and terrible day when God brings final judgment and full rescue. Judgment on the unfaithful, the unrepentant, those that don't know Christ, and full salvation for those that do know Christ. It's when He makes all things right. It's when everything is laid bare before Him. The Bible speaks of this both in destruction and salvation. Listen to Isaiah 13. Speaking of destruction, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. We see this again in Joel. We see it in Obadiah. We see it in Malachi. This awesome and terrible day of the Lord, judgment is coming. It's that hellfire and brimstone that is a reality. But we also see that it's a day of salvation for those that believe. In Joel 2, this is what it says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of, of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. First Corinthians, Paul writes about our works being tested on that day. Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but, some, but encouraging one another, and all, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Thessalonians 5, this is a whole section on the day of the Lord, and he says, Paul writes, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be watchful for that day, sober on that day, ready for that day. So it's horrible for the faithless. It's glorious for the faithful. Paul wants Onesiphorus to have a special blessing on that day. That's all he's expressing here. That is why he mentions it here. He served Paul so well. But I want you to see that it's not because Onesiphorus was a super Christian. It's because he had faith. Shana read from Hebrews 11, and all those great things accomplished in that chapter were accomplished by faith. Right? That's how all those verses started. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. Onesiphorus accomplished these great things for Paul by faith. Any great thing that you are able to do for God is just by faith. It's by faith. Why is Paul who he is? This great apostle. Why can he say in verse 12 that he is not ashamed. Well, it's faith. 
How do I know that? Verse 12 tells us that. For I know whom I have believed. He has faith that he is able, that Jesus is able. Onesiphorus saw the need and walked towards that need in faith. It is a big city, Rome was. Intimidating as a Christian, I'm sure. Lonely. Lots of prisons, like I said. Loads of broken and dangerous people that you're intermingling with trying to find this one prisoner among many. But he found Paul. And he served Paul. He walked towards the hardship. He walked towards the suffering. And I think we should desire to have a legacy of faithfulness like that. Not to look good. Not so you can wave your hand on that day and say, look how amazing I am. Look how I followed Jesus. No. It's so Jesus looks good. And you can say, look what he did in my life to help me to walk faithful. So we should desire this legacy. That's a good desire. We should think about that day. How sweet to have fewer regrets on that day. We will have regrets because we all stumble along, like I said, in this journey of faith. We will have regrets, but to have fewer regrets. We should plan for that day. We should walk towards the hardship, towards the suffering, towards the pain, towards the conflict. This is what Jesus did, didn't he? He entered this world of brokenness, the glories of heaven to the mess of earth. That's what he did. And listen, if you're in Christ this morning, you're in Christ this morning. You are united with him. You are united with the Son of God. You can walk towards those things in faith. You can. Because Jesus did. You're in Christ. You can walk towards them. We can serve Christ and each other just like Onesiphorus did. Did you know that there are, there are loads of opportunities to serve this body out of love for Jesus? There are loads of them. And maybe, maybe your love feels cold this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and like the, the, the joy of the Lord, the passion, the frustration of life, because it's hard, and maybe your love is just cold this morning. Well, sometimes, <laughs> and it's in this upside-down, inside-out kingdom of God, because God's kingdom is not like this world, so sometimes, I'd say often, jumping into service when your love is cold actually rekindles your flame. That's what Paul's right encouraging Timothy, to fan into flame the gift that he was given. Serving sacrificially is what the call is. And you might think, oh, Steve, if my love is cold and I jump into that, I'm just, isn't that just going to build bitterness in my heart? Because I don't want to do this. No. I actually believe that it won't build bitterness in your heart. I don't think that's the way God's kingdom works. Because that's what you see in the Scripture. One time our pastor in Kentucky 
he was making a point. I actually don't remember the bigger point, but I remember the example that he gave. And he was talking about service. And he was speaking specifically to couples and women who struggled with infertility, which were many, actually. It's actually very common. Uh, and what he was encouraging them to do was serve in creche. To serve in the creche. And you think, that's just mean. Why would someone who can't have their own child serve babies and mothers and families? It's what Jesus did, metaphorically and literally. He served those who didn't love him. But Scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There is something about serving in the body that fans a flame in us to love Jesus more and to love his people more. We don't always serve in roles that we love. We serve because we love Jesus. Service is more about loving Jesus than doing something that we enjoy. Service is more about loving Jesus than doing something that we enjoy. Now, there's lots of times where we get to serve Jesus with things that we enjoy and love. That's true. But there are also times where we serve Jesus because there's a need present. There are needs in this church. <laughs> Youth workers, kid clubs workers, sound people, crash workers, people to fill communion cups and clean communion cups, welcome team, tea and coffee. We need people to disciple all throughout the week and be hospitable all throughout the week and be hospitable here and welcome and talk to people and be intentional to people. Uh, let's not let laziness and apathy and fear and pride keep us from serving Jesus and the joy that it is to serve him. Paul holds up these two examples to Timothy. <laughs> Those who left him and the one who loved him. Those who were ashamed and that one who was unashamed. Those who guarded themselves and the one who owned and bared and preached and guarded the gospel. Joshua, in Joshua 24, they're coming in to the promised land. They're renewing the covenant. And this is what it says in Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a choice that we get to make each day. Maybe, if you're anything like me, you have times where you just make bad choices. And you have seasons of bad choices. That is something that you are not alone in. <laughs> Choose this day whom you will serve. That's the 
One of the beautiful blessings of the Christian life is repentance and faith. You start fresh today. You start fresh. That doesn't mean there's not consequences to what was behind, but I can start fresh. I can choose. You can choose this day by faith who you will serve. And then you start moving towards a greater degree of faithfulness today. <laughs> and then you do it again the next day. And then do it again the next day. And then maybe one day you take a couple steps back <laughs> because you had a bad week. But then you repent, you move forward in faith. <laughs> and you do it again the next day. And you do it again the next day. And you surround yourself with people who walk with you until that day. Until that day when the Lord Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus is worthy of our service. And I think Paul here, he's giving us two examples. He's giving Timothy two examples. You can walk away and be known for that, or you can be known to be faithful. And you can, by faith, serve Christ and his church. But you choose this day whom you will serve. So let's be a church that chooses to serve Christ and his body because we love him and we love his body. And we do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these examples in your word, both the positive and the negative. And Father, we confess as a group that we all are unfaithful in different areas. There is none of us who have arrived. We desperately need your grace. And so for that person who's feeling maybe particularly guilty right now for whatever reason, may they not condemn themselves. Father, but may they walk towards Jesus in repentance. May I walk towards Jesus when I look to see my unfaithfulness, which is deep in so many ways. Father, protect us from just wallowing in that. And let us just choose this day to serve you. Because Jesus is worthy of that. Give us these reminders, Father. May we remind each other. Father, help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.